Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. arrive at Guantanamo. I'm happy because I trusted an American justice. Never did I believe I would be eight years a prisoner without trial, and that the United States of America would use fear and terror to control me. Mohamedou Salahi's period of unlawful detention in Guantanamo Bay has recently been portrayed in the film The Mauritanian. His resilience and sense of human dignity comes through in the movie. I spoke to fellow detainee Moazem Beg a few weeks back about the political context of Guantanamo Bay. And if you haven't heard that programme, I highly recommend it. Moazem's insights were illuminating. This week, I reached out to Mohamedou to find out about his fortitude. What gave him the ability to remain strong throughout his ordeal? I asked him about his childhood, the context of his arrest and his ability to contextualise his incarceration and not descend into bitterness. I start with some of our pre-formal discussions where he talks about the restrictions that still remain upon him, which prevents him from travelling to the UK. Um, have you ever been to the UK? I have briefly been to the UK in 1998. Uh, 23 years ago, I was uh, helping my German friend to move. And I just drove him with truck. And I was very confused because 
the way people drive. I would say on the wrong side of the road. <laughs> and uh, that's it. And <laughs> since yes. since I got my passport yeah. a little bit of a year ago, I received a very great deal of invitation to speak and to promote my movie and my books. And uh, so far, your uh, secretary, uh, I think they call it home secretary. Yes. She refused visa twice. And, yes. Uh, and uh, I'm very upset about it. And I have so much support. And uh, I really don't know the reason, to be perfectly honest with you. I consider myself, as a matter of fact, a victim of torture, survivor of torture. And uh, there is no reason why I should be stifled and I should be kept away from the public. In the UK at the moment, we have the government we have, as you know, Boris Johnson is the prime minister and, and the home secretary is a lady called Priti Patel. And uh, she... Uh, she has made her name uh, as being someone who is anti-immigration, uh, anti-Muslim uh, as well. You know, there are many of her views which are, um, uh, which you know, you would say are borderline really when it comes to uh, when it comes to Islam. Uh, and so things like you know allowing you in into the country for her this would be regarded as a victory. So, uh, you know, that's un that's the unfortunate place we're in. And, um, uh, you know, sh she will often make some very strong comments against just migrants, like poor poor guys who, who, who try to come to the country to have a better life. Um, uh, she has a very, very uh, uh, horrible policy towards them. Yeah, that's very, you know, people I live on positivity and... Uh, I say she is a citizen and she is a, a person in place of power decision-making, but she's not the UK. The UK is you. The UK is people who invited me, including, by the way, uh, MPs who invited me and who supported me. And from both sides of the aisles, not only... Uh, so, you know, and if democracy and means anything, I should be able to come and share my story. Just like Donald Rumsfeld, George W. Bush have the right to go there and uh, share their story. I just want to tell my side of the story. And to let like uh, the UK public knows that there are very horrible things that are being done in their names. Obviously, if she thinks I'm there to ask her for money or to take a job, no one would give me any job anyway. I'm too lazy. Well, you know, inshallah, you will come to the UK and, you know, when you come, you are more than welcome to visit us and to um, spend time with the Muslim community here. I think you will find that um, you will love the community here, actually. And... Um, they are um, uh, very strong in, in terms of their iman, but also very strong in, in their political understanding. Um, uh, as you know, as you know more than we do, right? We've lived the last 20 years under this war on terror. And um, uh, ordinary Muslims like you uh, have been impacted unfairly by, uh, by this war on terror. And, and I think 
you know, that's led to in a positive way. That's led to a consciousness in 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 Muslim in the Muslim community, um, and um, it's made us stronger as a result. Absolutely. I think. Well, look, let's uh, let's make a start because I know it's very late there for you. So I, I sent you a list of questions. We, we will go through as many as we can. I didn't read any of the questions. So every question is going to be a surprise. <laughs> you can add any question you want. So. Well, I think you are uh, you are uh, very well ready to uh, to respond to surprise questions from your uh, from your years. Yes. <laughs> yes. As you know, I, I interviewed Mazen Beg uh, about your film, and um, uh, we 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 put that out uh, a few weeks ago. And Handelite, the podcast gained a, a lot of good comments from uh, the, the broader community. Uh, but what I want to focus on today is uh, your personal resilience and how you manage to keep going. I suppose your inner strength or the way by which you kept positive during this uh, very bleak period of your life when you were uh, 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 you know, incarcerated in Guantanamo Bay. Uh, and so that's really what I want to focus on. And uh, as well as uh, what made you what you are, Muhammadu, why is it or how is it that uh, you were able to to deal with uh, such adversity, with um, uh, such uh, such a, a great level of resilience. So at least from your book and from the film, uh, that is what we get. Um, so I would like to uh, firstly ask you about your background, brother, and um, uh, you know what, how you were brought up. Uh, you were brought up in Mauritania and. Um, I think it was a very rural living. Your father was a camel herder. You you mentioned uh, in your book, and it was mentioned in the film. Um, can you tell us? Just build a picture for us of your of your life before you moved to Germany to uh, uh, to start your studies. So I was born in the south of the country. Mauritania is a country in Africa, precisely in West Africa. I was, born, I was born in 1970 to a camel herder. And successive uh, years of drought killed our animals. And we found ourselves with no livelihood. So the whole family of 12 kids plus mom and dad had to move near the city and try to uh, just start a new life. I was so poor to school. And I remember vividly this day. I could never forget that day. I was going to school. It was 2.30 p.m. And I need to catch the class of 3 p.m. I was in second grade, I think. And the school was like two and a half, half kilometers away. One and a half, not two. And I remember like dashing from one structure to the next to cool down my small feet. And then I continue on my way. And this gave me horrible nightmares, you know, during night, night time. And I remember these nosy who cut me off on my way. And she stood me and she like scolded me for not having my shoes. But I didn't have money to buy shoes. And I was too ashamed to tell her that my family was poor. So I had to listen to her lecture with my small feet pinned to the ground. 
And then I went back home and I took another route to avoid her. That's how poor I was. And how did you find school? I did well with school. I loved school. I loved books. I don't know why. I have no explanation, you know. But since my grandma Tutu, we call her Tutu. Her, her name is Fatima. Fatima too. But we call her Tutu. And she taught me how to write, how to read. And uh, I remember as a child, my first or first few days, she tried, she started me on alphabet, alphabeta. And then I wasn't interested in my alphabet. I was looking at the elder kids, the older kids, and see, but they have so many alphabets because they were like already having slate because we write on slates full of Quran. And then I was very depressed because I said, oh my God, I have only three uh, alphabets, but what would I do if I have thousands of those alphabets? Because I didn't think that it's a combination of so many alphabets. I thought every alphabet is, is, is an independent entity. She and my father, the one who planted in my heart the love for knowledge and the curiosity for knowledge. So when I passed high school, I, was, I did always well. Not because, I don't know, because I was smart, but I just loved, you know, school. Then I received a scholarship from Germany. And I moved to Germany when I was very young. And I graduated in uh, microelectronics telecommunications. And tell me, why were the Americans interested in you? I came back. I was on the radar as I, when I finished in Germany, I was on the radar of the most powerful country in the world, that is the United States of America, because of a phone call. My cousin's father was sick and he asked me for help. He called me, asked me for help to send some money to his father to pay the bills in Mauritania. And of course, that's something we do. Anyone who asks me for help, when I can help, I help. Anyone would. This is not a Muslim thing or a Christian thing. This is like de- human decency. And, but there was a problem. He was living in Sudan. And he used a phone that was registered under the name of Osama bin Laden. That's it. That's the whole story. And every move I did, Every phone call I said, every word I said was intercepted, interpreted in a very evil way. And I, I felt that in Germany, I freaked out because I was just scared and afraid. I never had any running with the police. And I moved to Canada. And that was like we say in Mauritania, falling from a cliff into a well. Because... Canada is very infamous in its like conditionless uh, cooperation. And I think UK too. UK is very horrible when it comes to, uh, to cooperation with the, uh, with the United States of America, you know, against its own citizens, mind you. And uh, I, I had like this landed immigrant status in Canada. So I was almost a citizen. 
And the real estate told them, this guy is a bad guy. He's here to do bad guy, who tried to blow up LA in this infamous uh, millennial plot. And they said that we went to the same mosque. Actually, I never met him. I don't know him. And uh, they were just obsessed. So the United States, my country, and, uh, and uh, Canada, they conspired to lure me outside of Canada and kidnap me. And this is, unfortunately, I'm not the first case. This is like something that target like young Muslims, you know, using their own background countries to uh, kidnap them and torture them. And I say this over and over, and I think you have a great deal of, uh, Muslim countries are the worst. I say this over and over, and I'm not going to stop saying this. We have the worst track record in violating the human rights of young people in our country. Why do you think that is? Why is the Muslim world so willing to violate the rights of its citizens? I mean, unfortunately, not only Arab countries, Pakistan, there is almost no, there is not one single detainee I met who wasn't, uh, who wasn't uh, apprehended by uh, uh, Pakistani uh, forces to the America. I don't know the answer. All I can tell you that this is nothing like the Islam I learned in my family. That is nothing like the Quran I learned. Human dignity. Allah honored human beings. He didn't honor Muslims or Allah honored the whole humanity. Prophet Muhammad came as a blessing to humanity. And over and over, the most egregious human rights violation happened in Arab countries. I was apprehended, kidnapped, tortured, in my own country and sent to Jordan, Jordan, another Arab country. I was begging them to send me to the United States of America. I have nothing to do with Jordan. I never been to Jordan. I don't have a friend in Jordan. I had nothing to do with Jordan. But Jordan was what America wanted. Doing the bidding of uh, human rights violation and so And this is something I don't have an answer for, but I think if we as a community, as Muslim, and we need to change, we've got some problems, you know, we will not advance. And this is not because Muslims are bad or are good or Christians are good or are bad, but every nation needs to face its history and face its, uh, its problems and solve them. Just like any other, any other nation. But anyway, so they called me in Mauritania. They told me my mother was sick. And I purchased my ticket. Uh, the, the people in my community in Canada, I used to love, live in Montreal, told me, Muhammad, you are wanted. And Canada cannot arrest you because there is no evidence against you. 
if you go to Mauritania, you will be hurt. You know, I uh, like temporarily I prayed Taraweh in the mosque, uh, uh, you know, as a volunteer. And I have a lot of support in Canada. You know, America later on told me, you are the baby of the community. I didn't understand what that means anyway. So, and uh, I said, no, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of anything. I, my mother is sick. I'm going to see my mother. And then, and then on my way to Mauritania, in Dakar, I was kidnapped, interrogated, put in a plane, given to Mauritania. Uh, they interrogate me, including the FBI. They put me under house arrest. Until 9-11 happened, I was arrested, kidnapped, rendered to Jordan, then in Afghanistan, where I was uh, chosen for this enhanced interrogation technique, i.e. torture, including sexual assault, including beating, until I, they broke my, uh, my, my ribs, and later on my gallbladder was destroyed. They removed it. And, uh, and so on and so forth. A lot, a lot of uh, abuse and torture. And uh, this spanned over a little bit over 20 years, 20 years, more than 14 years alone in Guantanamo. It's remarkable after what you said that you've chosen not to be bitter. Can you explain that to me? I chose to fight for justice. I chose to fight and my biggest fight was that I am not going to be bitter. I am Muslim. I went to Mahdara. I studied Quran. I studied Tafsir. I studied Hadith. And nothing tell me anything but be, be good to people and be good to humanity. And I only discuss with people with good heartedness. And I decide to forgive everyone, including those who kidnapped me, those who tortured me, because I have no interest in seeing anyone getting hurt, in seeing anyone suffering. Lieutenant Richard Zuli, a, a, a cop from Chicago who oversaw my torture. And by the way, he tortured even American people, black people in the US. And this is on record. And you put them in prison for 20 years, innocent people for 20 years. So you've given me a very good explanation of your background. You were in uh, Mauritania, you went to Germany to study, and um, uh, you returned uh, to Mauritania uh, uh, from, from Canada, and that's when your ordeal began. Now, the uh, Americans um, put together a patchwork of circumstantial evidence. One such evidence is what you've described there that you had a phone call from your cousin and little known to you at the time uh, this phone was connected uh, to Osama bin Laden and so they made a connection but another connection uh, they claim to have made is that you spent a period of time in Afghanistan uh, in your earlier years and I suppose in the court of public opinion Afghanistan is linked to terrorism and so um, uh, many people who see that connection would say that that is an allegation against you that you can't answer. 
So for the record, uh, why were you in, in Afghanistan? This is a very good question, Mohammed. So I went to Afghanistan when I was very young. I, I just wanted to make a difference. Like I wanted to help. I want to help uh, oppressed Afghan people. I was being bombarded with news reporting German TVs every day about human rights violation, about this injustice that had been visited upon Afghanis, and I wanted to help. And this was like actually very official because German government supported the Mujahideen. So this was during the so the Soviet era, right? Correct, yeah. And the Mujahideen had an embassy in Bonn. Uh, I remember exactly the address, Theaterstrasse uh, 12. And the Mujahideen are the one who issued me a visa, official visa, to visit and help. And this is, was not only me, like there are so many uh, German who went there to help and including non-Muslims. And this was like a very official thing I did. Uh, when I went to Afghanistan, I went twice in 91 and 92, and I spent very short period of time. In 92, I decided to go back because the civil war started. And I didn't find my place in that country because I wasn't ready to kill anyone. A bunch of Muslims like fighting, fighting it out to the bitter end. I said, this is not a place of mine. And I went back and cut all my ties. I did what I could. I, I, I don't regret any of that, by the way, Muhammad. And, and, and I suppose uh, your interrogators, by making that connection, they seem to have a very a, a strong misunderstanding of their own history because America supported the Mujahideen during uh, its fight against the Soviets. That's correct. And, you know, Muhammad, like... This is like a no-brainer. Like when, when I spoke to the uh, like interrogators, including CIA, military intelligence, they understood the, the whole thing. So this, this is a no-brainer for them. You know, this is like, you know, my understanding is this, oh, he's ready to fight. He, he has a cause. He can't believe in cause. That's something, you know, that they don't like. They like as if they always want me to be nobody, nothing, no thinking. And I was like very uh, defiant, like in the beginning, of course, before torture. Because they keep telling me, why did you study uh, microelectronics? I would go, ah, sorry. I didn't know I have to apply for you and ask you why I study so. Why did you go to Afghanistan? Ah, sorry, I didn't think you are the, the embassy to ask for that. I do what I do and I can do what I can do. It's none of your business. And this was like very almost childish, you know. I had this British uh, friend, you know. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I give him a shout out from here, Bishar Arawi. He was with me on the same, uh, on the same block certain time. When you look him up, Bishra Rawi is a, a British citizen of Iraqi descent. And he was much wiser than I was and stood Americans much better than I do. 
given that he spoke English and watched movies and so. He kept telling me to tone down like my uh, defiance and so. And, uh, and uh, uh, <laughs> what I wanted to say is that I didn't think I owe them anything because I kept telling them, why did you kidnap me? Why, what did I do? And they say, we went to Afghanistan. I say, so what? So, and your friend is, so, so what? It's none of your business. Explain to us. No, I'm not explaining to you anything. And then they say, this guy is like hopeless. But I suppose what you mean by hopeless is they decided to put you on a, a torture program uh, to get extract more information from you. And I was broken. They came to me one day. I mean, Muhammad, just think about 70, the first 70 days, no sleep. No sleep. 70 days, no sleep. You know, when you go now, you finish this podcast, you go to your family, you kiss your wife, you kiss your kids, and you take it for granted that you have a bed and you sleep. You are in a cell, very cold, and there is nothing except metal. And you go there and no sleep. And one of the things that I never forget, they say, no sleep for terrorists. That's why, you know, and I hate this word terrorist. And I camping now, I'm starting a new organization you know, asking for terrorism to be banned as a crime because terrorism must not be a crime in a free society because one, it's abuse. In my part of the world, that is the Middle East and West Africa, terrorism is used to crush political dissent and anybody who does not agree with you, they said terrorism. Two, there is no definition for terrorism that all countries agree on. Uh, my friend uh, from Norway, Elizabeth, she used to work for a, a foreign ministry of Norway. And they refused to sign with the United States uh, the laws against terrorism. And the answer was easy because the, 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 the Nor we don't know the definition of terrorism that you come up with. And we have obligation to, to protect our citizens. What if you decide that some of our citizens are terrorists in your own definition? You know, that's why you have every country has its own terrorists. And that, you know, but we have murder. We have uh, destruction of property, we have organized crime. Why they go to terrorism? Because they want to, uh, they want to first uh, eliminate political dissent, and they want to uh, collectively punish people. So, and I hated this when they told me you are a terrorist, and I was saying, so what? What does that even mean? You know, what did I do? <laughs> and then when they came to me one day, after this first 70 days, they told me they would kidnap my mother. The very last thing I saw from my mother was when the police came to me. Mauritanian police and arrested me in my house in front of my mother. 
And I was driving my car, they were escorting me, and I saw my mother in the rearview mirror with her tasbih frantically praying. And I saw that image until I turned right. And when you get a chance to see the movie, that the exact place where that happened. I never saw my mother again. She passed away. And I never understood that the pain she went through that day because I wasn't a father. But now that I have Ahmed as my son, I cannot even imagine that someone would come to me and take him away from me. I mean, if the Metropolitan Police of London come to you and said, okay, uh, your son is screwed up. We, we saw him with using drug and selling drugs. You may say, oh, this is painful, but I understand. But when they come to you, they say, we take him and we just take him because we can take him. That is so heavy. So when they came to me, they said they would take my mother and she, they would put her in only man prison insinuating she would be raped. I know I had nothing to lose. I say, I will tell you everything you want. And I start like, I wouldn't stop. When they ask me, okay, Ahmed was praying in the mosque. Is he Al-Qaeda? I say, yes. Mukhtar was praying in the mosque too. I said, yes, he's Al-Qaeda too. Everybody is Al-Qaeda. And okay, what did you do? And I couldn't find anything. And then this uh, first sergeant, Shawi, told me, what you could have planned to blow up CN Tower. I never heard of CN Tower. I, was, I lived in Montreal. Later on, I learned CN Tower is in, I think, Toronto. And I said, yes. And he said, okay, you need to write the confession. And then I wrote the confession and then signed it. And then they took it. This confession was taken to my prosecutor, Colonel Couch. He's a U.S. Marine. And there you see like the greatness and decency of some American people. Many American people, I dare say. When he look into my file, they're asking for death penalty. This is so chilling. When he looked at my file, it was like, okay, this guy was kidnapped. You interrogated him. He denied everything. He never gave information. And all of a sudden, he's spilling his guts. <laughs> this is not normal. You know, tell me what you did. They said, it's none of your business. And he resigned. You know, he resigned. He said, I, I don't do this stuff. If you have evidence, you give me, but you don't, if you don't have, if you, this is what you have, I don't do it. Especially that I went through polygraph twice and polygraph twice exonerated. So, sorry, to, sorry to interrupt, but do you think that your interrogators never really believed you were a terrorist, but they had to justify why they had kept you in uh, and uh, incarcerated you in Guantanamo Bay? And so in a way, they needed the so-called evidence and the confession from you to justify their broader war on terror policy rather than a genuine attempt to find the perpetrators of a crime. Uh, this is, uh, Muhammad. it's a very good question, actually. But 
I don't know how they do things in the UK, but in America, uh, security is a private business by and large. Like police are private companies and a private company needs to show results. And those are contracts. No, it's not like if you are a cop, you say, I have no interest except finding the truth because I'm not going to get money if I if this guy is guilty or not guilty. It's, it's, it's the same. But a company that could make breakthrough and find look Salah is a hard ass uh, and he doesn't talk to anyone. He's very smart and we broke him. And now we know exactly what went down during 9-11. That's a very important thing for a company because that would give them more contracts, you know, in the future. I think that's one thing. The other thing, I think there is this police obsession in the United States of America. And this is not against like Muslim or this is even black people, you know, like I think human beings need to find answers. But, you know, Sometimes there are no answers, you know, or you have to look somewhere else. And I was a very easy person to give answers because I was Muslim, I was young, I've been to places, I know languages, and I was the perfect candidate, you know, to be presented in front of American jury and be toasted. It's really good. It's really you know, everybody wouldn't even think twice about it. So, so, so during your uh, 14 years in Guantanamo Bay, uh, you went through uh, this initial period of interrogation and then a very bleak period, uh, which is detailed in the movie. And it's a very difficult thing to watch, actually, um, where you're where you're tortured by uh, the American forces. How did you remain optimistic? How did you get through this period? What was it within your spirit that allowed you to endure uh, such a horrible period in, in your life, uh, Mohamedou? I really, to be honest to you, you know, I, I don't have a definite answer, but I can tell you something that happened. There is a word in the English language they call providence. I think it's a Christian term. We say in Arabic, a lot, you know, at least that's my translation to providence. They are weak. I remember when they took me to the uh, dark prison. You know, I was all like blindfolded and I had been beaten very long time. I had been mock drowned. I'm beaten by Jordanian team, Egyptian team, American team, all the same night, same night. They took me and gave me to her. And I couldn't hear, I couldn't see. And they put me in a cell, very dark. And then when they left, I, I, I think I, I woke up and I prayed. <laughs> of course, I don't know Qibla. I prayed to Qibla actually. I know that when these many months, maybe one year back, 
because I asked one of my interrogators when they stopped torture, show me Qibla, and he showed me the false Qibla. I didn't think she meant it. But uh, when Steve, my brother Steve uh, Wood came and so, and he, he showed me the real Qibla, and it hit me. I said, that's the place I prayed to the first time I came here. Same direction, you know. And uh, I think, I don't know what helped me, but, you know, Alhamdulillah, I never stopped reading Quran. Never stop. Never, never. Even if they, like, beat me, they say, cannot. I, I beat in my heart. They thought I was singing some songs. And then they can stop. And then I just do it in my heart. And, uh, and the other thing, I did not bear any grudge against these people. You know, I said, you know what? I forgive. I have no problem. That's why they always, when they come to me, I was always smiling and laughing. And this woman came to me. She said, why are you so upbeat? And I was like, what does a beat mean? Because I didn't speak English very well. And then she said, uh, yeah, a beat, so happy and so. And then, you know, and later on I joke with the guards. And so they, when they ask me, why are you always happy and laughing and singing? I want my humiliation to be as cheap as possible. You know, you were uh, really optimistic, you were resilient, you were able to uh, transcend the torture by your, uh, by your, um, your consciousness that uh, the Quran and, and your Salah will help you. Uh, can you, I would like to enter that a little bit more um, and understand that a little bit more, Muhammadu. I mean, what is it about the Quran and, 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 and what is it about how it impacts you as a, as a Muslim that helped you during this period? So, Muhammad, look, it's, I don't know the exact answer, but knowing that this is not the only life I have, and there is a life that is much more important, the beyond, that there is one statement I can make, and it's always true. You and I both will die. Everybody will die. And... This life, you know, of course we need to be good in this life. And I have this philosophy that in order to be accepted in, the, in heaven, you have to be in heaven right now. And you have to show the signs of being in heaven. You know, it, we are the only religion where when you smile, it's a charity. When you smile to someone, you are given a charity, actually. You cannot kill people with being nice to them. And when the CIA took me from Jordan, okay, they stripped me naked like my mother uh, bore me. And they put a diaper on me. I know that's it. I didn't care about money. I didn't care about the hot girls I met and I never get to marry. I didn't care about money. I only cared about how good was I. And the closest thing to get close to Allah is to be good to people. 
أقربكم إلى الله أنفعكم لعباده The closest of you to Allah is the one who serves most the community and that's my dedication and I'm telling you I'm serving everyone and I'm not expecting anything from anyone You show a remarkable sense uh, or ability not to show any bitterness or any rancor uh, after your ordeal but some would say that Um, how can that be? For example, Barack Obama, uh, he kept you in prison for an additional seven years, even though a judge had acquitted you of all charges in, in America. Uh, surely you should show or you would have some bitterness towards the American president, let alone Bush and Cheney and Rumsfeld and others uh, who acted in, in such a callous way. Uh, that uh, they enabled the regime uh, to uh, to to allow your torture and your ordeal to to take place, yet you show no bitterness towards uh, towards these people. Can you explain that, please? It's very hard to explain because I went through different experience in life than I do. I went through different experience in life. To me, what matters is this very moment and how good I could make this moment. This very moment is to be very honest to you and to tell you accurately my feeling and my experience and to be good to you and to be good to your audience. You know, that's what matters to me. I cannot like fill my head with what Barack Obama should or shouldn't have done. He made a big mistake. He made a very big wrong, you know, and it's not healthy for him. It's not healthy for the United States. It's not healthy for the UK to support the United States. This is bigger than me. I, as a small citizen, I can only do my part. My part is to be good and to help everyone I could help and to forgive and to move on. So what's next for you, Mohamedou? What are you doing now? So I have a new book called Ahmed and Zarga, I urge you to read. It's, an, it's a novel, right? A novel. It's about Bedouin life in Mauritania. And, uh, and it's just, uh, you know, it, it's, it's like light stuff. And uh, you will hear very soon uh, that it's, it's, it's very successful in the United States of America and uh, going to to be more than just one a book. So I just want to tell you that. And, uh, and uh, I want to dedicate my life, the rest of my life, to protect the vulnerable people in this part of the world. We are doing bad, Muhammad. Our young people, when they say, I want Sharia, or the, I want like my country to be ruled this or that way, they are labeled terrorists. And they have no, I want to enjoy the same right as you do. I want the same right as people in, in, in Europe for also my people here. The other day in Mauritania, a small group of people, a French group, uh, by the way, made a demonstration in front of the presidency. And they said, we should apply the Sharia law as they define the Sharia law. And every people say, those people should be put in prison. I was going to say, oh, oh, what are you talking about? 
in Mauritanian constitution, you have the right to say that. You know, you have the right to say that. And I, I defended those people. And we need your help. We need your help in the UK because you have much more uh, tools to help people in this part of the world. Inshallah, inshallah. Jazakallah khair, Muhammad. Do you have an appointment now, I think? Yes, I do have an appointment in uh, Los Angeles. <laughs> I will not let you your Los Angeles appointment uh, be delayed any longer. It's been great to uh, speak to you today. And uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keep you safe and, and uh, allow your Ramadan to be uh, a successful one, inshallah ta'ala. Inshallah to you to taqabbalallahu Give my your and my biggest salam to your wife, please. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullah. I will do, inshallah ta'ala. And uh, keep us in your dua uh, during this month, Muhammadu. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.